This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading today is from 1 John, which we have been in for, for a number of weeks. And the passage is 1 John 4, 7 through 21. So it's 1 John 4, 7 through 21. In these passages, we find some of the the classic verses on love. So listen to God's word. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son to has sent his son as the savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have not, whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Let's pray. God, full of love and mercy, we ask that you would open up the eyes of our hearts to the depth, the beauty, um, and even the radical nature of the love that you have for us and that you have for the whole world. And we pray that even as we hear your word preached, that you would begin to transform our hearts to be hearts that live in and share the same love that you have shown us through Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen. I was just commenting to um, Sarah and, and a few others who joined in that I just made the connection last night that today was Valentine's Day 
And the passage I was given was the famous passage on love. So that might tell you how maybe dense I was to not make the connection. So if you don't hear lots of Valentine's Day references in the sermon, that's why, but, but hopefully things just come out naturally as, as the sermon goes along. So I wanna shift a bit. Um, we're gonna start by talking about fear because John says in this passage that perfect love casts out fear. So I'm wondering what fears are you bringing into worship today? What fears do, do we bring, do I bring into worship today? Our fears go up and down the ladder. Could be fears connected to the, the ecological crisis that our planet is in. Fears connected to where our nation is headed. Fears about COVID. Um, fears about cultures or communities that are different from our own. Fears about um, our illnesses, our health. Fears about the health of our loved ones. Fears about a job or a potential job in the future. Or fears about making friends or friendships at schools. All of us bring fears into the service. Some of them are, are trivial. I don't know if you've heard the phrase FOMO, which is fear of missing out. FOMO, and my wife would argue, probably rightly, that early in our marriage, I suffered strongly from FOMO because every single weekend, I would be very hesitant to commit to anything because I was worried that something better might come along, usually connected to my guy friends and what they were gonna do. And so I didn't wanna commit to a thing, which drove Julie crazy and rightly so, but we all bring our adolescence into adulthood. Um, and, I, and I did the same for me, but, but we're, we're all, we're bringing fears um, into this service together. And fear, um, as we'll explore later, can have a proper place in our lives. Uh, fear is not wrong, but what fear can do is it can begin to permeate and become pervasive in our lives. And then it can start to spread to others and create cultures of fear. Um, and in John, we read that God's response to fear, to this pervasive fear, his first response is not to call us to courage or grit or fearlessness. God's response to this pervasive fear is love. It's love. And this love that God shows us is, is both uh, it's a love that's rooted in God. It's God is the source of this love that casts out fear. But what we learn in this passage is also that this love that casts out fear is meant to be love that exists with us, the love that we share with one another, this self-giving, other-centered love that casts out fear. So first, what we'll do is we'll explore a little bit about how this pervasive fear begins to take root in our lives. We'll look at fear but then we'll shift and we'll look at God as the source of this love that casts out fear. God is the source. And then God's love as the model for our own love that shapes our relationships in our lives. So God's love is the source and it's the model for us in shaping our lives and rooting out that pervasive fear that so quickly dominates. But first, fear. The world, this broken world around us, it can create so easily um, fear that pervades and dominates our lives. 
And it's important to say first that fear is not always bad. There, there's a fear that the Bible talks about, which is this awe and this reverence for God and his goodness and perfection. There's also just fear in its proper place as the appropriate response to threats and trauma that we experience in our lives. Fear is this, this appropriate response. Um, it can be, it's that appropriate response when, response when uh, if a mother is with her child at a park and, and a dog gets off a leash and the mother throws herself between her child and the dog, or fear that's an appropriate response like, um, like my friend who, who grew up in an abusive family. And then when he gets into a situation where he senses an abusive boss, he rightly puts up some boundaries and some barriers to protect himself. Um, fear can have a proper place in our lives when it drives us to have a sort of protective love, both for ourselves and for others. So fear can be appropriate in its proper place. But what happens is that this fear in its proper place, when it's provoked again and again and again, it begins to create a pervasive fear. And that pervasive fear then can spread to others and it creates cultures of fear. We find this in its most um, palpable vivid sense in context where, the, where there has been um, years of war and conflict, which divides, it creates, it provokes violence and hatred, isolation. Um, so we see it most clearly in those contexts but people who study cultures of fear, this fear that begins to pervade and transform how people relate to one another, many people who study cultures of fear have called our own culture, our American culture today, a culture of fear. They've called it a culture of fear. And one of the primary causes or one of the main causes of this is that um, people, trying to sell us products constantly peddle in fear to get us to buy their products as a solution to that fear. These, and we're bombarded with these images, images and these advertisements all the time. It, we saw it in the elections. I was, I was listening to, uh, this was a, a, a strategist for the Democratic Party for Joe Biden's campaign. And he said that he, he readily admitted that the only way to win an election is to play on people's fears. You don't play on people's hopes. You don't play, you don't play on love, compassion. You have to play on people's fears to win an election. And so moment by moment, hour by hour on these, our little cell phones, these little fear factories in many ways, they, they play on our fears and we, we experience that flight or fight response hour by hour each day. And the impact of that collectively in our relationships with others, it produces many responses, whether it's sort of a, a, a re, just a resignation that those things are just gonna keep going on and we resign ourselves and disconnect ourselves from relationships and from uh, people around us. These cultures of fear can provoke hatred and violence and division. Um, 
They can also provoke isolation, a retreat from relationships around us. So this, it can, it can kind of swing us between resignation or hatred and violence, division, or just isolation. And so these cultures of fear, lives pervaded by fear, they damage our relationships, both with those close to us and those who we share our common lives with in our communities. I don't, if it's kind of like what, what it does in people's lives is, it's like if you go to um, a, a shelter to pick up a dog and when you go up to the dog and you try to reach out and love to that dog to pet them, you can tell that they come from an abused home when they quickly recoil and their hair stands on end, ready, seeing anything and any act of affection as a threat. This is what cultures of fear and pervasive fear does in our lives and in our relationships. So where in this world that we feel trapped in this pervasive fear on our devices and relationships with one another on the news, even through just companies trying to sell us simple products, where do we find the resources to begin to heal and to begin to transform from that culture of fear? Where do we find those resources? For John, in his letter, the, the source of, of the resources we have is in God's love. What does he say in verse, um, in verse 19? We love because he first loved us. Love, that, that, um, that love that God has poured out in his son Jesus what God's intent is, is to create uh, not just individuals, but a whole community shaped by God's self-giving, other-centered love. That's God's antidote to cultures of fear. But the question is, what, what is love? What is love? What, we, we, we throw this word around all the time. We use it in so many different ways. Romantic love, love for family members, um, love for our acquaintances, love for coworkers. We, we, we use the word love in so many ways. We can love food. We can love products. Um, so, so what is love? The Bible has a number of words it uses for love. Here in this passage, we have the word agape. Um, and a form of agape occurs 26 times in these verses that we read. And agape itself can mean a number of things, but one of the things that's a bit different about agape is often it's, it's describing affection and care that we have for someone else, for another person, but often it's care for someone outside our inner circles. It's care for someone beyond the boundaries. It's, it's a sort of boundary crossing love. But again, it's used in different ways. And so uh, John in this passage he uses agape, but he defines it even closer about what is this love? What, what, what is this love that John is talking about? And if you look, um, if you look in verse nine, what, does, what is said about God's love? He, he defines it. He gives it flesh and bones, what this love is. He says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. 
This is what love is. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And then he says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So John is defining what love is by God's nature, who God is, and sending Jesus into the world. So as John is defining love for us, he defines it with who God is and what God did. He's showing that love is this proactive, transformative presence with us. God's love is this, it's this proactive, transformative presence. It's God's love, the type of love that God is, it's proactive. He uses the word in, in verse 9 and 10, he uses the word God sent Jesus. He uses the sending word twice. God, God's love is love that pursues. Um, it's proactive. It pursues someone who's different from it. So God's love is proactive. It's also transformative. God didn't just send Jesus into the world to just be there. He sent Jesus into the world. Why? God sent his only son into the world in verse 9 so that we might live through him. And then later in verse 10, he sent his son into the world um, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God's love, is, it's proactive, but it's transformative. It's meant to change us. It's meant to make us into the people who he intended us to be. So God's love, it's proactive, it's transformative, and it's presence. God sent Jesus into the world. God, God came in to the neighborhood, as, as, as one uh, theologian has said. God came to make his home among us, to be with us, to be an intimate relationship with us. Christianity at its heart, it's a relational faith. It's a faith where God comes to be with us, to be with us. And again, not just to leave us the same, but to make us new, to change us. God's love, the love that John defines as God sending Jesus into this world so that we might live through him, so we might be freed from our sins. It's this proactive, transformative presence. That's what God's love is in our lives. And this love, it, it generates love within us, this type of proactive, transformative presence. It, it, it generates love in our own lives. It's like, it's like a child who, who grows up in a home with parents who are not um, manipulative, who are not controlling, or who aren't absent. No, if they grow up in a home where parents are trustworthy, compassionate, caring, and present, what does that do in that child's life as she begins to grow older? She is she's freed not just to return that same love to the givers of that love, her parents. She's now freed to share that same type of love that she experienced to others around her, to her own family in the future, to friends, to others around her in her life. God's love, that present, transformative, proactive love, it generates love within us. So God, God's love, it's the source. It's the source of, of all love. Love is from God. All love of this type of love that John is describing, it's from God. God is the source of this love. But John is also saying that this love 
that got, that is at the source of who God is. This love is actually meant to be the model for our love that we share with each other. So this love is not just something we receive from God. This is a love that actually God uses, transforms us, and we live out that same type of proactive, transformative, present love with those around us. We see in this passage that God's intention is to actually create a community of people saturated in the same type of love. And that community is what God uses to, uh, to heal people who have been broken and bruised by a life pervaded with fear, by cultures of fear. Look at verse 17 in this passage. What does John say at the very end, this short little phrase that's easy to skip over? He says, because as he is, so are we in the world. As God is, as God is in Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit, Father sending the Son into the world, that's how we are to be in the world with others. That same type, that same quality of love. Also, look at verse 12. John says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. So God reveals his nature, who he is by the love that we share with one another. And that's radical. God reveals himself through the love that we share. And at the end here, when he says, um, that his love is perfected in us. When you, when you hear perfected, don't think in this case, sort of unblemished or clean. This word perfected here, it's connected to the English word that we will sometimes say telos or the end or the purpose or the goal of something. Um, it's like when you get a homework assignment for a project in school, you work on it. What's the goal of that project? It's not completed. It doesn't reach its goal until you actually do the project, you turn it into your teacher, and then you present to your class. That's the goal in a simple way. That's, that's what uh, this word is used here. It's the goal, the purpose that God, one of the purposes of God coming into this world is that we would become this community that shares in the same type of love that God showed in Jesus. So this is, this is the goal of God's love and it gets worked out in our lives and in the love that we share with one another. Just recently, I, I met this man named Carl Gady and Carl, He's the founder and director of a Christian relief organization that works, um, that, that provides mental health services for uh, communities, both recovering and in the midst of conflict war zones. Um, and so they'll go into different contexts and provide mental health services for people there. And Carl shared his story with me about how uh, his organization, which is called Tutapona, how this organization got started. So in the early 2000s, Carl and his wife, Julie, they were both trained social workers and they were leading a very successful counseling practice uh, in Wisconsin. There was, this was in the mid 2000s and they began hearing 
about these child soldiers, um, these, these kids in Northern Uganda who were taken from their homes and their villages and forced to work as soldiers in armies there fighting. And the UN at the time labeled that context in Uganda as the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. It was not just child soldiers, but growing poverty, um, economic devastation, women being assaulted as a weapon of war. Um, the, 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 the consequences are unimaginable of what was happening there. And, and for Julie and Carl, for the Gates, they were so deeply uh, convicted and compelled by what was going on um, that they decided to sell their home, um, stop their business, and they moved with their two small children um, into the heart, into the city that was at the heart of the conflict in northern Uganda. Because as he shared with me, he had even in his counseling practice before, he always the, the Gettys, they were strong Christians, and they always had this very strong sense that their vocations should live out Christ's love in the world. And so they moved their family into, the, into Uganda. Um, and they did it without a, an exact idea of what they were going to do, but they knew they wanted to be a part of the healing and repair of these child soldiers who had been so traumatized by what they experienced. And they begin noticing that many uh, non-governmental non organizations, they were doing uh, work helping with providing shelter and food and clothing for these people, but nobody was addressing the trauma and the mental health crisis of these kids who were coming out um, of years of war, of killing people. Um, and so the Gates using their own background as counselors and mental health counselors, they decided, they decided to start Tutapona. And at the beginning, it was just them working with a number of people coming out of these conflicts. But little by little, they started training Ugandan Christians through church communities as counselors and as therapists. And their work began to grow and to grow and they, had, they, they were providing services for hundreds and then thousands of people. And then the UN started to invite Tutapona and their national counselors, their Ugandan counselors um, into refugee camps to provide formal services for the UN, um, providing mental health services for these victims of war. And this grew and this grew and they started working all over Central and Eastern Africa. And then in 2015, they learned about another crisis in northern Iraq um, caused by the fallout of the Syrian civil war, the devastation of ISIS. And so the Gates moved their family again with their children um, into Kurdish territory in northern Iraq at the heart of the conflict. And for the last five years have been training local people in the community to provide mental health services and counseling services for women, men, children who have been so traumatized by the conflict there. And I, one thing I asked Carl, I said, well, what, what, tell me what Tutapona means. What, why that name? And he said to me, oh, that's, that's at the heart of who we are. He said, let me tell you about it. So Tutapona means we shall be healed. And what, what he shared with me, he said, the we is so important, he said. 
He said, because you never find healing outside of community. He's like, our goal is to create communities of healing. It's not just about the counselor and the individual receiving um, the care. It's about creating communities of healing. So the we is so important. We shall be healed. And he said, also in the we, he's like, what I realized after we'd been there for a long time in Uganda is that it wasn't just about the healing I was helping provide for these people. He said, but our whole goal and who we are is that he's like, I'm healed as I begin to interact with these people. So the we of the healing is not just for them, he said, but I need to be healed in many ways. And by living in this sort of self-giving love and then receiving what he's experiencing through these people's lives, he said, I'm healed in the process. So healing, it's, a, it's, it's about creating communities of healing is what he shared with me. That's what Tutapona is all about. And so this God's intention in sending Jesus is to create these communities of healing, of self-giving, other-centered love, this proactive, transformative presence that we share with one another. The same type of love that we see in Jesus is the type of love that we share with each other. Now, most of us are likely not called to move so far uh, to, in, in our lives, and most of us will probably never aspire to the heroics of the Gady family. But maybe some of us are called to things like that, and we do always need to be open to it. But most of us won't be called to those types of things. But we are all called to the same quality, the same type of love that we see and them that we see in Jesus, this self-giving, other-centered, um, proactive, transformative presence with people in their pain. That is the love of God that we learn from John. I shared, I shared briefly in the heart of the matter on, on Friday about just how impacted our family has been by the handful of women that have so intentionally reached out in love to Julie. Um, nothing radical, texts, emails, some Zoom calls, um, phone calls in the 20 minutes that Julie's driving home from her work to be at home with our family. Small things, but this same quality, this same type of love and, and, and that love that we've received from, from this church community, it, it frees us to want to be a part of that same type of love and giving of ourselves in similar ways. This is God's intention for us is to live with that same quality of love with one another. And so this is what God is doing. God right now is creating these communities saturated in this other-centered love, this proactive, transformative presence with one another. That's what God is doing in our midst. And that is God's antidote to cultures of fear, to lives that have been pervaded with fear. And so God is calling us to continue to walk faithfully in that love, growing, giving, and receiving of that love from one another. Let's pray.
Gracious and loving God, we, uh, we thank you that your, uh, your love is deeper and more real than the fear that so often dominates our lives. We pray that you would send your spirit um, into uh, our midst to continue um, to bring us into your ways so that we can both share and show your love to all people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.